Hey listeners, hope you've had a safe and productive week. Many years ago, I had my own business. We ran pretty well for several years and then certain things changed in the marketplace that ultimately became too challenging to continue. It's okay, when I'm honest with myself, I realize that it wasn't my true passion and it is really hard to sustain all of the effort it takes to make a business a success when you don't live it every minute of your life. And that has me thinking about what it takes to keep your business alive in the era of COVID-19. Some have been doing okay with technology allowing them to operate with a remote workforce while continuing to produce their products and services. Some of us, as employees, haven't been so lucky. My job was eliminated back at the end of last year, and it's been a challenge to find something at a time where the economy is contracting. And smaller businesses have had some help from early government loan programs that came with the pandemic but those subsidies are starting to run out. So keeping a positive outlook and realizing that all this shall pass someday is the only relief valve we have right now. Originally from the Bay Area, Tom Gilsnian is the owner of DZ Solutions, a reseller of hardware, software, cloud, and IT professional services based in Santa Monica, California. His professional background is that of a systems engineer. His hobbies include coffee, cigar smoking, and slow smoking barbecue. Tom serves as a board member for the Goodness Cakes nonprofit and is a contributor to the Sova Food Pantry. He lives in Santa Monica with his partner, Mary Lee, and his dog, Luna. Hey, my guest today is Tom Gilsney, and uh, he, he owns a company called DZ Solutions based out of uh, Santa Monica. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. How's it going? Not bad. Can't complain. Glad it's Friday. Excellent. Yes, I'm glad it's Friday, too. This is also going to be the first official um, cigar happy hour on the podcast. So for those of you listening, when you hear the... Uh, the can of beer open in the back and a couple of puffs going here and there. Don't worry about it. It's all good. That's right. So Tom, Nothing to be concerned about. Have you been holding up these days? Uh, to tell you the truth, even though the future is kind of uncertain, uh, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I uh, kind of go back and forth. I think like everybody else, there are days that seem almost normal. And then um, every once in a while I get kind of, I wouldn't call it panic but because that I think is too strong of a word, but I start to get overwhelmed with a uh, little bit of anxiety about like, you know, the same stuff as everyone else. Where does it end? What does that look like? Is there going to be a new normal? Is it going to be the same normal, um, you know, on a bunch of different levels? So DZ Solutions is a company that does uh, basically your, would you call yourself a value-added reseller or a consultant? We, we see ourselves as sort of a, technology consulting slash management consulting company. Um, but a lot of our uh, top line revenues come from hardware and software and cloud sales. So okay. sort of a hybrid model, right? We do some consulting and we sell stuff. And um, as I'm sure we'll get into later, um, a good customer, a good year, you know, a good balance sheet for us involves uh, doing, we kind of need to do both in order to be successful. Okay. How has the changes in the world affected business? I mean, just off the top, there, there was a big, I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday. There was a big dip 
right as everything got locked down in March in uh, specifically any sort of physical equipment shipments, which is an important component of our business. Overall for the year, we're off about 30 or 40%, but not, not gone really. And then there's been a big shift in, you know, sort of large capital expenditures, you know, send me a bunch of new arrays or a bunch of big frames or a bunch of servers to, Hey, uh, we need to buy some software and we need some expertise and some remote services to kind of convert you know, whatever the business model is of our customer to uh, a remote only model. So um, what is, is there a particular vertical or industry that you service most, would you say? Yeah, like probably 60 or 70% of our business is uh, the entertainment business. And over the years, we've gotten more and more concentrated in uh, like big entertainment firms. So a lot of it's like in the Fortune 500. Um, now there's been some consolidation in general in that industry, but it's also just by virtue of the fact that we're this kind of, used to describe ourselves to bankers when I was trying to explain why customers work with us as the, you know, green berets or special forces, right? We get brought in often by big companies to do small focused projects by other big companies. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, of course, the entertainment industry, the modern entertainment industry, right, which is really built around the movie, movie business and studios and all of that uh, in its hundred and what, 105 years that it's been in existence, never shut down the way it has this time around, right? No, I, I can't. I mean, there have been some strikes, certainly in television, but I mean, if you think about the the really nasty writer strike of, oh, uh, forgive me of the vintage. Yeah, it was about, like 2008. About, I remember that one. There have definitely been some big rocks that the industry had to swim around, but this is just like a dam. You know, there's yeah. nothing flowing. <laughs> there's no one shooting. And um, as far as I know, most of the, I mean, I watch a lot of uh, episodic, you know, especially like the new streaming stuff. I'm super into it. And a lot of the shows I'm watching, they just kind of stopped in the middle of the season. You know, there's no way to know what's going to happen next. So Yeah, I mean, most TV shows are about eight weeks behind. Uh, so, like, the show you're watching on TV this week was shot eight weeks ago, right? Uh, that's right. that's about the time window. And so, yeah, everything got killed just before the 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 last season the the fall, you know, the spring season ended. And um, I'll give them credit. They tried to do some interesting stuff. One of the shows I watch a lot, uh, The Blacklist. Yeah, they did something really cool on that. I yeah. can't remember the name of the company yeah. that did that. The, the last episode, uh, because they got caught right smack in the middle of the last episode, they actually semi-animated the the half of the episode, which yeah. I'd say to mixed results, it was, it was okay. It was definitely interesting and worth watching. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty dead in the business since. So has the business been able to take advantage of any of the uh, government subsidy kind of stuff that's come from the CARES Act? Yes. So we were, uh, I looked into that. I didn't know anything about SBA, Small Business Administration, it's division of the federal government. I didn't know much about how that stuff worked. We, um, we ended up deciding not to do something called the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, which I'm accidentally now an expert on, but really is meant for physical damage and doesn't exactly contemplate what's happening now. So we went with the 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 loan that probably a lot of people have heard about the uh, I think it's P- paycheck protection program. Yeah, loan. So 
we were first in line at the bank. Um, I was very pushy and um, we were able to, to get it approved on the first round. It was like kind of crazy because I was trying to submit the application. And I checked all the boxes and before the bank could get it to the government, uh, the policy would change somewhat. And huh. so there was a, it was a little bit of moving of the goalposts. Um, but, you know, I was very persistent. It was really important to us. And um, I actually have to say, like, I'm surprised I'm saying this because, Jeff, you know me well enough to know I'm the last person to shower a bunch of praise on the federal government. But it yeah. really helped us a lot. And, you know, it wasn't that bad. It ruined me and a couple accountants' lives for maybe a couple weeks. And when you think about how important that was in terms of, you know, preserving full-time employment for my staff. I mean, it made a huge impact. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want, we talked, you talked about keeping, you know, keeping your spirits up and being hopeful. It's hard to be hopeful when you can't feed your kids. Right. So. Well, and most importantly, when, you know, let's just take restaurants as an example, because it's so extreme. And, you know, prior to the career I have now, I worked in restaurants for eight years, you know, in my twenties, that was my livelihood. And, the great thing, there are many great things about working in a restaurant, obviously many things that are not great as well. But one of the things I really liked about it was if you decided you didn't love the restaurant you worked at, there was sort of, you know, it might not be great paying, but there was kind of unlimited additional opportunity in that sector. You know, getting a job in a restaurant has never been difficult if you're able to do the work. And so, I mean, anybody who that's their livelihood, I'll give you a specific example. I have a friend that ran the wine program at a very, very high-end restaurant. Young guy, mm -hmm. and this was, I mean, he had his whole life ahead of him, very successful. So he had created, I mean, really was what was a, it was going to be a lifelong career in, in fine dining. And there's no fine dining. The entire yeah. sector is essentially, I mean, it'll be back, but it's effectively eliminated. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I Yeah. Uh, Ludo Lefebvre's restaurant, um in uh, oh, in Noro's uh, Tuamek, which was restaurant. really successful. I had the chance to eat there once because I have a friend who knows him personally. Um, he just shut down. You know, it was there was no way to build outdoor experiences in that place. And so, you know, he just even though he's won Michelin stars and, ha you know, was booked up for months in advance, there's just the business yeah. is gone. Hard times, man. Definitely hard times. Yeah. When you um, when the pandemic hit initially, how did the business change? How did you, what did you have to do to, you know, get everybody set and what was it like dealing with the customers? You know, what happened? Yeah. So we got pretty, I made some decisions that probably looked good that were really just lucky if I'm being honest. Um, we work in a high rise office building with lots of other people and parking garages and elevators. And um, we were at the end of a long 10 year lease, you know, pretty expensive office space. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I mean, we all remember uh, SARS and bird yeah. flu and, you know, I took it seriously, but I had no idea anything like this would happen. And we do this big convention every year uh, where we go to, it's held by the National Association of Broadcasters, but a lot of mm -hmm. you know, resellers and makers of technology and networks and stuff go there. And when they canceled the entire convention, which is, I believe, yeah. the second or third largest convention in Las Vegas every year. Uh, it's yeah. held in April. I just said, you know, if they're shutting that down, I think I want to be out in front of this. And so I sent everybody home. We all worked out of the office, but there's only 20-something of us. Um, 
But I mean, I literally, Jeff, I said, okay, guys, this is going to be for 30 days and we'll reevaluate. We're going to have a meeting every couple of weeks and I'll keep you guys updated. And I was absolutely sure we'd be back, you know, by the end of the spring. I mean, absolutely sure. Yeah. Uh, and so then obviously May came and then June and, um, you know, what happened for us was it was a, there was a big drop off in business. Um, we're very uh, cloud savvy and cloud first, but I had some physical infrastructure, which was used for like training and laboratory purposes. So right, it was kind of a, we got lucky. We kind of moved out all at once a little bit. It was before the mayor made his announcement. Um, so we looked like we were, you know, ahead of the curve, if you will. And then yeah. um, we basically kind of, we just turned that corner very sharply. But again, it was all with this, this absolute certainty that this was going to be, uh, I mean, I hate to compare one crisis to another, but like a 9-11 or a 2008 where it's like, yeah. there's an acute event. That event is going to last for a finite period of time. We will then be at the bottom and things will climb back out of where we were. And um, Well, I mean, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the reason why we're in this extended prolonged event that we seem to be having a difficult time getting out of is because of the way people in general responded to it. Because I do believe everybody took it very, very seriously at the beginning, but then let down their guard too quickly. Yeah. My sister lives in Scotland and she said, we haven't left our apartment in however many days it was, right? So to me, I'm editorializing that, right? And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. except for the grocery store and to get gas. And she's like, Tom, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. We have not left our apartment at all. Um, yeah. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting. It's such a large society, such a huge geography. And we're so, I mean, myself, I'm including myself in this, right? As, yeah. as an American, we're so, we're so bent on personal freedom that, you know, our whole philosophy and way of life really conflicts with, uh, I think, proper response to, you know, a crisis of this level. Yeah. Are you um, continuing to do work with your customers during this period? I know, I know the studios have pretty much sent everybody home. They're doing a lot of remote work, but do you find you're still continuing to do any work at all for them uh, to support them? So there were a couple of large capital projects that got almost like pulled in a little bit because their business has stopped. It's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to do some big upgrades. Um, and yeah, that, that's again, true. you know, it hasn't represented enough business for us to be, you know, super successful this year. Um, but it was something for us to work on. We also had, um, we do quite a bit of network security remediation. So maybe somebody will do a scan or have an audit. They'll discover, uh, you know, weaknesses, and then we'll kind of shore things up. Um, think of us as the people that do the repairs after the smog check. Yeah. Um, and so one of our customers, for example, is a large international. Uh, they're like boutique, but they have properties all over the world, mostly tropical, like hotel chain. And they laid off 90% of their staff. It was horrible. Um, mm -hmm. However, they had paid some fees already last year for us to do a bunch of remediation, which was extremely difficult to finish because it involved uh, getting close. We would have to take their internet down and we got pretty close to their payment processing system. And the most important thing for them was we need to be always connected and payments can never stop. So um, we kind of gratis actually did a little bit of work for them. And then because uh, I mean, they're really struggling. 
And then we got a whole bunch of the remediation done as they're slowly reopening. So it's it like a lot of stuff just was, you know, canceled or uh, indefinitely postponed. But, yeah. you know, those of us in IT, if anybody here is in IT, you know, all our best work happens when nobody's working. And since nobody's working, <laughs> there was a unique opportunity to do, do the stuff that is always on the bottom of the list that you never get to because you can't get the maintenance window. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, have you been putting people on site for that kind of work? We, so, um, so we're a small company and so our HR policy is, is, uh, you know, pretty much determined by me and a couple other people. So our philosophy and our approach, which I just outlined at the very beginning, so there wasn't any ambiguity was absolutely no one has to go anywhere, including to the office, unless they volunteer to do so. Um, and anyone who's showing symptoms, you know, certainly can't. Right. Uh, and so we did do, we had to do a facility move where one customer was working out of a high rise office space, lots of equipment. And they, they were told the building was closed indefinitely, like potentially forever. Right. Because for the business to recover and be able to afford that real estate is like 50, 50. Yeah. So, but their business was healthy, right? It's all digital. It's all online. So we did kind of a stealth I don't know, it was stealth really, but it was like a big lift and shift where we had to find find and secure data center space. Data yeah. centers have new policies. We had to get the equipment there as safely and securely as possible and then kind of got them turned up. Got uh, We had to implement a bunch of additional uh, security, obviously, because now they're in a multi-tenant environment right where they weren't before. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I was talking to someone the other day who said that when their shutdown order came, uh, they were they were planning to do a migration from physical uh, infrastructure that they ran uh, up to the cloud, and they just accelerated it and yeah. just pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and got it done in you know two weeks. Moved all of the business apps up into uh, one of the cloud providers, and that solved all of their problems as well as carrying them into the future. And I thought that was it's a small enough business that they were able to do it in that time window. But I thought that it's like a brilliant solution, right? Because Absolutely. Yep. That was um, one of our big customers was involved in an epic three-way merger of two media companies and a giant telecommunications company. And um, one was very infrastructure heavy. One had a cloud first strategy uh, where they were trying to do everything cloud, nothing on-prem, even if it costs, you know, more money and manpower. And uh, so what ended up happening was there was an existing philosophy and, in fact, five-year plan in place, right, uh, that was kind of proposed like, hey, here's a way we can migrate. And so the same thing, they basically just took a sharp turn and started focusing as many resources as possible on uh, getting everything ready and basically evacuating it from on-premise. And so it was a big win for that particular team because here's the team with the super modern strategy and they got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to – you know, kind of rip the bandaid off, if you will. Um, that yeah. was kind of, I think, fun and exciting for them. I don't know if they would describe it as fun and exciting. I think they would describe it as 18-hour days. But, I mean, they got yeah. a lot done in a short period of time. We're, we're all going to look back on this afterwards, realize the heroics of it, and then just go about our lives and pretend like it was business as usual, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was no big deal. Yeah. How, how about um, just life in general? How did that change? And how are you? Uh, how are you holding up? What are you doing to keep busy? I'm somebody that's never spent 24 hours in their house in their entire life. That's not an exaggeration or a figure of speech. Um, so, um, 
I don't know what the, I mean, emotionally is a bit melodramatic, but in terms of like my comfort level is every day I must get up and leave the house, even if I'm not working that day. Okay. Um, so it was a big adjustment for me. Uh, we'd recently gotten a new dog. The dog was getting tired of being walked, if you know what I mean, like many dogs. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Um, and you know what? I, I live with my with my spouse and the dog, and uh, I'm I'm lucky because we have a little bit of outdoor space, um, and only about half my friends do. And uh, so I kind of would hide from the house in the yard, if you will, because mm-hmm. that was kind of like being outside. Um, I don't think I put any miles on my car. Um, it, it was it was good in that um, I think spending that much time with your family is really good. My adult daughter was here at the time, and it's the most sort of uninterrupted time we've ever had. I mean, we had a few months together. She recently went back east to start up college again. But uh, yeah, you know, there was a lot of good that came out of it. I would say, you know, for me personally, it was it was extremely difficult because I had to, you know, I'm impatient. I like to get out. I'm a super extroverted social person. Um, yeah. And I had to make some adjustments. I mean, you know, because I was like, hey, let's have a Zoom meeting friend. It, yeah. You know, I had yep. to really kind of reinvent my... Social calendar. Yeah. No, same. Yeah. Same for me. Um, and I have the compounded issue of because of where I've worked for most of my last 20 years of my career, I am a substantial distance away from most of the people that I've worked with. So right. actually getting out and doing the let's sit on the driveway six feet apart from each other and chat yeah, do- doesn't happen. So getting out of the house for me since the pandemic started has mostly been going to the grocery store once every week, week and a half. Uh, and then, you know, taking my car out for a drive just to keep the engine running because yeah. it's getting old like I am. And I have to do that every once in a while to keep it from locking up. And it is, I mean, it is nice that local businesses have adjusted too. I mean, now going to the grocery store is different than it was before, but I wouldn't describe it as painful. I mean, at the beginning there, it was like, you remember the, the run on toilet yeah. paper and Yep. Things were disorganized. Nobody knew what the new rules were. Um, and yep. it's great that that's all been kind of ironed out. Yeah. It's been, it's also been kind of cool, uh, to look at some of the local communities and see how they've, they've, they've moved their, they've, they've closed off streets that aren't heavily trafficked and turned them into places where the local restaurants can build out tables, yep. uh, that are properly distanced so that they can have some, you know, dine in business. Outdoors. Um, I hope that sticks around after all this is over because I think it a improves the neighborhood and b yeah. it's uh, it it makes the experience better. I mean, I I believe it will. I mean, anywhere in Europe that's been happening yeah. since the beginning. You know, I I almost wonder why we ever stopped doing that. I mean, in LA, part of the problem is you know you're you're taking parking spaces off the market, which is not a yeah. popular thing to do. But um, I live in Santa Monica where a lot of the street closing was resisted because so many people come here um, and the weather is so great, et cetera, that it it took a while. It was really crowded here at first on the weekends. Um, And now that things have kind of thinned out a little bit, uh, we actually just ate at a restaurant today where they've always had some sidewalk tables and stuff. Uh, They're they're like kind of doubling the size of their outdoor space. In fact, um, another super iconic restaurant, a couple of them, like Lunetta and Melise, they uh, they converted their parking lots, which I thought was a great idea. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that more and more in the neighborhood up here in Redondo as well. Is um, 
people slicing out a piece of the parking lot and just turning it into tables so that they can continue to do business that way to supplement the takeout. It's uh, like, yeah, it's, it's a nice environment to, to deal in. Yeah. So what's the next six months look like? Do you think? So I'm glad you asked. Um, out, my strategy was in terms of business, which, you know, owning a small business, you want to try to preserve people's jobs. It's very important. You know, it's not just me. It's all the people that depend on DZ Solutions as a workplace. Um, I kind of focused on, I'm more of an increased sales versus reduced operating costs type of leader. I believe all, you know, all problems can be solved by spending more time with your customers and generating more business by doing great work. Um, but there's a finite amount of business out there. So I kind of had to do some, some cost cutting. Um, we all, I took a hundred percent salary cut. The staff took a very small one, um, but everybody was cool about it. I mean, we did what we had to do. Uh, we cut a bunch of other operating costs. Uh, I mean, everything from telecommunications to, you know, we, we shut down most of our little data center to save on electricity. We made a couple of real estate moves, um, and I think that that has bought us enough runway. You mentioned the next six months, and I, I can kind of see through to the end of December. That's about as far as my things get real murky after that. Yeah. And so as a business, I'm pretty confident we can remain, you know, healthy slash break even and do okay kind of through the end of the year. And that gives me enough time to wait and see what the future looks like. I mean, there's, I've got a big emotional attachment to a vaccine there, there've been meaningful updates, but I don't feel that there's a timeline on that. I don't know if you agree, but I, I don't yeah, really know. I do. I think that I, I, the only thing that worries me about the vaccine is I, I mean, so we're, we're living in an amazing time, right? And I think one of the things that will come out of it is changes in, in the traditional methods for how we've done things because we feel a need to accelerate. So even things like how long do we test for before we go live with, with something like a new vaccine will probably be more abbreviated than it had been previously, which is good and bad, right? If it works out well, then that's terrific. That means we've developed a way to go to market. Instead of taking two years, if we can do it in a year or a year and a half, then terrific. We're going to save a lot of lives. Um, yes. But then again, what's the risk that comes into the fact that we cut six months to a year off the process, right? Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that, is something only the future will tell. Nobody knows for sure. I mean, I think yeah. the, the thing that is good slash interesting about that is that, you know, because we kind of don't have any, because the alternative to abbreviating the timeline, to, to use your, your terminology, because the alternative is so potentially deadly, um, yeah. it kind of forces us to roll the dice in a way that normally we would probably not do. So if nothing else, we'll learn from that experience. I hope we learn something wonderful and something amazing. Um, we might learn something maybe not so good, but but at least we'll have that information because there's a, I mean, there's kind of this overarching theme of there's a lot of things, you know, in my life, in my career, in science, where yeah. things have always been done a certain way. And there's probably was a good reason at the time. And we're having to challenge all of that because this is like such a unique set of circumstances. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that's why I think it's an amazing time to be 
to be alive because doing this, I think we're going to see those advancements and it's going to make, you know, this is the time when we see how technology actually can help in these areas and help speed us through. The only thing I'm worried about with the vaccine is um, the anti-vaxxers. You know, the, there's a there's a growing community of people out there who, for whatever reason, have ignored the fact that vaccines have actually eliminated diseases um, because they're buying into some fake science as well. Right. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, I was I was talking about this with my son the other day. I, I'd like to think that if a vaccine becomes available and you take it, it makes you um, it makes you personally more immune to catching the disease and therefore safer for you to go out in public. And not that I want to see anybody get hurt, but anybody who's anti-vax, as long as if they catch it, it doesn't make it easier for me to catch it. Let them do whatever they have to do. You know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but if they're not willing to accept the help and the opportunity that's available to them to make their lives better, as long as it doesn't hurt me, um, they can go with God and do what they want. Yeah, when I think that I think the eighty twenty rule applies, right? Twenty percent of the population is probably at extremely high risk and should get the vaccine first. Of yes. the eighty percent that's left, there are those of us like myself that will, that will choose to take it unless I have a good reason not to. Um, so a specific example is I don't take the flu vaccine because um, I don't really get the flu. Um, I've totally looked at that differently now because I realize, well, geez, what if I've transmitted it? Have I been irresponsible in that fashion? Um, but this particular disease is, or virus or whatever we're supposed to call it is like so brutal that I, I mean, I almost kind of consider it uh, like my responsibility to take the vaccine yeah. to your point to help prevent the spread. And then once I have this friend who has a PhD in chemistry from UCLA, I ran into him the other day and we stood across, you know, six feet from each other, whatever we're talking. And, uh, you know, I didn't know this, but he said, uh, coronaviruses, remember, I'm not a scientist, so I'm just quoting a friend here, but, uh, he said that coronaviruses do mutate. So one size does not fit all with the vaccine. He's like, it will mutate probably yearly based on, again, based on historical data. We don't know for sure. Um, but he well, said, that's what the happens with the flu. Is, so yes, he said, unlike the flu, a coronavirus the weaker strains of it are the ones that will survive. So he said there is kind of a half-life to this thing. Unlike, I'm not an expert, again, not a doctor, but my understanding with the flu is to some degree, it can get a little bit nastier every year. Um, but something about the way that vaccines interact with uh, whatever the plural of viruses is, of virus, right, coronaviruses, is that um, weaker strains will still be out there but we'll get to the point where a healthy immune system will pretty much be able to fight it off. Even if you're still working with your body is still working with last year's vaccine. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, thought that extremely promising. Yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, you kind of, you can kind of see it a little bit in the current round of things that are going on. There are some people who get really sick. There are some people who get mildly sick, some people who don't get any symptoms at all, right? So it all depends on your immune system and how your body responds to it. Um, and of course, if you have things like diabetes or if you're older, um, your body, your, your system by default is weaker. And that's why those are the groups we need to protect the most. I fully expect that when a, when a uh, vaccine does come along, it's going to be one of those, you probably have to take it twice a year. 
you know, in order to um, have the protection for it. But at the same time, I believe that this particular virus, once we have it tamped down and enough under control that it's not spreading as quickly person to person, it's going to go away. Because if it has no place to breed, it's just going to, you know, it's going to go away, which is part of why sitting at home as long as we have, and especially here in California, where we got to a point where we had flattened the curve enough that we felt it was okay to start to open up and then had to reverse things again is so frustrating, right? Because if everybody just wore their masks and everybody just took the proper precautions they needed and stopped with this personal freedom nonsense, um, we could knock this thing down in two, two and a half, three months enough so that we could go back to something resembling normalcy. Yeah. Um, and, and you see that happening in Europe and in other, in other parts of the world in Asia, because they took it really seriously up front and they locked themselves down until they got to a level where it actually made sense that they could open up again. And now they're, they're living a better life. Yeah, the guy, the virus expert for the New York Times described uh, because our society in general, right, just doesn't respond well to the government making you do stuff. And again, that's just society. I'm guilty as charged. Um, I mean, this is something I take seriously, but generally speaking, philosophically, I don't like a lot of government intervention in my day to day life. Yep. He said we were probably going to be relegated to what he described as the hammer in the dance. And I thought that sounded a, a little bit, you know, over the top, but he was 100% right. You know, we kind of, we tiptoe back out, we do a few things. And then, for example, I saw a friend of mine the other day who's a, he's an attorney, you know, he works for a big firm and stuff. They opened on July 12th, the office, like a limited opening. July 19th, they closed. Yeah. <laughs> so, had one week, yeah. you know, back in the office. Um, and I'll be interested to see, you know, my daughter's going back to school. Um, they're going to try a hybrid model, but they plan to do as much on-premise instruction in the non-lecture classes as possible. I think the lecture is going to be online. You know, those big classes, with like 200 yeah. people and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, she's studying, uh, neuroscience. So there's labs involved. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to try to do it. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, it's obviously a very, healthy portion of the population, college students, but like, you know, that's a lot of people. Like, are they going to be able to make it through the school year or not? What's going to happen with the uh, baseball, Florida Marlins? I mean, we all read about yeah, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried. I'm at this point because of all the cases that are popping up because baseball chose not to stay in a bubble to do it. I'm concerned that we won't actually get through the 60 game baseball season. Um, so yeah, I have some concerns about that, but I have to tell you, it was a, it was sure a pleasure to be able to sit down and watch a baseball game again, even with all the crazy, you know, fake fans in the stands and the piped in crowd sounds, just being able to turn on the TV and watch a baseball game was like a moment of normalcy. Yeah. I mean, I don't, has there ever been a time? So there was the baseball strike after 9-11, the NFL stopped for a little while. But I don't think there's ever been, certainly not in my lifetime, I can't remember a period of absolutely no sports at all. Now, I'm not a huge sports fan, but it's funny how the complete absence of something that's in so many people's lives has this sort of profound effect, you know, where it like yeah. almost makes things seem more dramatic, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the you reasons know. why I believe that the movie industry, the television industry is going to have to figure out a solution to get back to work really soon is because, you know, we're in a time where we're blessed with having an abundance of content to watch on all of the different streaming services, but that's running out. 
right? I mean, at this point, if you didn't finish it up last year, you you don't have anything to go to air with. And by probably late fall, early winter, there's not going to be anything to run on Netflix or on yeah. you know Amazon Prime because they haven't been doing anything for months. Now, um, I know that England created a bubble environment around their studios in London. And they've actually, I believe, uh, if I if what I read is correct, gone back into production because you travel into the bubble, you you wait for two weeks, you get tested all the time, you don't leave the bubble. So being in London is not like being in London, right? You've got the studio environment and the people you're working with, and you've got your hotel, and that's about it. Um, and then when you're done, you can leave. But once you leave, you can't just come back in. You've got and to do because the of that. They've, they've again. yeah. Because of that, they've relit um, some of the bigger productions that were on hold. Um, so at least, you know, there's hope that we'll get them. Whether or not there'll be a place to show them is a different story. But, right. Uh, we'll figure that out as we get closer to it. I understand the college thing, right? I've got a daughter who's starting her freshman year at Cal State Long Beach as a music major. And so she's in that same place, right? Musicians need to get together to play as an ensemble or as an orchestra. Um, and so they can take the individual type classes online and they can take the academic classes online, but there comes a point in time where you have to get on stage with other musicians yes. in order to play. And if you're a musician, especially woodwind, like my daughter is, you're in that weirder position of you're actually spending your time blowing into an instrument that's accelerating the rate of your air going out. Right. I um, mean, it's kind of definition yeah. of high risk, right? Right. Yeah. So there's been some interesting stuff going on with studies on how far you have to physically separate musicians in an orchestra. There's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of Germany on that because the professional uh, orchestras have been studying how to do it so that they can get back into business again. How far apart different instruments need to be from everybody else in order to be in a protected state. Um, yeah. So there's interesting stuff that's coming soon, I think. Yeah, the, my friend um, uh, administratively runs the office of the COO at the LA Philharmonic. And that's, you know, organizations like that have just been devastated. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, that is, that's how the money is made, you know, that and tours, and nobody's doing a tour of anything. Yep. Um, no, absolutely. What can I plug for you, Tom? We're coming to the uh, coming to the end of our time, and I want to give you an opportunity because I'm hoping people will be listening to this. What sure. can we share with them? Absolutely. Well, for those of you um, that are in the entertainment industry or run a business uh, where you have uh, software applications that are critical to your business, uh, my company, DZ Solutions, is uh, open for business, available for remote work, and um, would love to talk to you if you have either acute issues because of the current situation or you're working on your future strategy, technology strategy, uh, and you need somebody to help you get to the next level, we're here to help. If you want to learn more, um, you can go to our website at DZ, like dog zebra, dzsolutions.com. Awesome. And that's not just for people in LA. You're, you're available in other parts of the country as well if needed. Yes, we do work nationwide. We have people in uh, in the southern United States and on the East Coast. And um, if anyone's listening internationally, we also have subsidiaries in uh, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Australia, South Africa, and Canada. 
Very cool. Very cool. Listen, thanks for taking the time to talk to me this afternoon. Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. 